Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 105, and we are talking about 12, 13, and 14 from Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson. Paul, how are you? Excellent. Ready to go. Ready to talk about Stormlight. Elliot? Sort of ready to go, but very ready to talk about Stormlight. I'm... I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm enjoying watching Paul trying to talk and write a name on a mug at the same time. I'm, I'm putting a name on the mug as we speak, and it's a bit more cantankerous than usual, so I'm using tape to aid, and this is my third attempt, but we will get there. Do we have two words to summarize this episode before we talk about the mug? Elliot? I do. I do have two words. They are only two words. And those two words are smugglers and bounty hunters. Now, I know you're going to tell me that bounty hunters is, is two words, but it's actually hyphenated. This is a little known fact. It's, it's not one word, but yes, that's okay. These, but you're thinking of the other bounty hunters. Yes, these are bounty hunters. Bounty Correct. bounty hunters, like hyphenated. It's yeah. it's one title. Which if, if I if I let that slide, then you could be like you could go all sorts with that. But Paul, what are yours? Mm-hmm. Uh, my two words were not meant to be together, like meaning one thing, but they kind of kind of do. So I have relentless depression. Oh, sad. <laughs> and I didn't mean for them to go together. They're two very different things. But then I saw it and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's that's very heartbreaking. <laughs> okay, well, let's use these four words to talk about Rhythm of War. Is our mug done, Paul? Yes. Uh, speaking of relentless depression, this is something I'm not depressed at all about. I'm very happy about it. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, we have a new surgeon, and it is. I, I will give my preface to the cup this time. The mug. This is neither of those. This is a jar. It is a very short and stout and I don't know squat jar. Um, so it's kind of hard to because the actual paper is taller than the like normal part of the jar, and I also misspelled two times, and so I just gave up and crossed through a letter and kept going. But we have sinking frigate, like the boat. Fry, fry. I've always said it frigate in my mind, but I think it's frigate, right? It certainly is frigate. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sinking frigate. I kept typing. Er, typing. I kept writing S I N K I G. And I did it, I, I started over, and then I did it again, S-I-N-K-I-G, and so I crossed out the G and put an N-G, and then forget, and my handwriting is really bad. I, I have nothing but apologies for you, uh, <laughs> but I have also uh, nothing but apologies for how I wrote your name, but nothing but gratitude for your support for our podcast, so thank you so much. Uh, to sinking frigate. 
Indeed, thank if you. Up, if it were up to me, I wouldn't have you sink. I would have you float and be a very successful frigate. Thank you. All right, talk to me about Relentless Depression. All right. <laughs> I, I would love to, Trevor. I would love to tell you all about Relentless Depression. So, Welcome relentless... to our fireside chat this week. We're going to be yeah. talking about our uh, Relentless Depression and whatever Elliot's words were. I don't remember them at this point. Yeah, who cares? Uh, I care. Um, <laughs> obviously not. You have no idea what they are. So that's a little hypocritical. Uh, anyways, anyways, so uh, I'll go with my first word first. Relentless. Um, I'm speaking of kind of our new... We have a new fused guy, Raboniel. I honestly didn't remember the name from the reading, but it's in our outline here, Raboniel. Um, and... He's just this old fused who, anytime he dies, he just relentlessly does nothing but try to kill the person she. who killed him. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. She does nothing but try to kill the person who killed her. That's it. No, you're I, confusing too. Oh, I'm confusing too? Oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead, Elliot. Maybe I'm not talking about Raboniel. There is a fuse uh, that does this. I was just going to say, I think you're fused or crossed here. Lesian. Lesian? Lesian? Lesian. Lesian is who you're thinking uh, of. Yes, that's who I'm thinking of. I am so sorry to all of our fans. Please forgive me. I am a new Stormlight reader. <laughs> Picked up Rhythm and, of War first. Yes. Um, yes, Lesian, the pursuer. That makes way more sense. There you go. Um, intends Relentless to is still a good word, though. Yes. Relentless is not about Raboniel. Relentless is about Lesian, the pursuer, because anytime Lesian dies, he's not going to do anything but pursue the person who killed her. So, Kaladin killed her, so now I'm kind of wondering just like how long, how Lesian's many times guy. is she going to die? I... Uh, <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what I was thinking. I was actually, I was actually confused because I was like, I thought it was a guy, like from my reading. No, okay. So, and then you were like she, and I was like, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, so, so I'm all kinds of let me let me help you. Let, let me help you out here. So, okay. chapter fourteen is split pretty much in half, and Venli and Esh and I walk into the chamber, and Lesian, the pursuer, is the guy we sh we saw in chapter two, of. Uh, Rhythm of War. Kaladin's beating him up in um, Hearthstone. They have a duel. He beats him without Stormlight, for the record. Um, and Lesion is reborn in the latest ever storm, and he is he has the title of the Pursuer, and he drops everything he was ever doing and goes and kills whoever killed him last. That's what. That's that's Leslie and the Pursuer. Raboniel is the scientist lady that walks in in the second half of the chapter. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. There we are. So that's why I chose Relentless. Um, in conclusion, thank you for explaining my word for me, Trevor. You're welcome. I got very lost um, and now have Relentless Depression. So speaking <laughs> of, my next word is... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> My next word was depression, and that's very, uh, very sad to say. But it's it's related to um, my concern 
re- reading forward with Kaladin. So Kaladin has been discharged from the military in combination or after uh, the whole Moash debacle. I feel like that's a nice word to say. Like Moash, like it was terrorizing Kaladin, like very viciously. That's a good word for it. Um, And then he's discharged. And so I'm just worried about like the depression struggles we had very like adamantly in the first book that that's going to like resurface like tenfold almost like it's just going to be like a big deal whenever I Kaladin was always like struggling with that but it felt like an upwards trend at least Um, and now I am I'm concerned and worried so yeah, that was just supposed to be depression as the word, and then I realized afterwards, and it was relentless depression. I was like, "That's way more sad." And so I'm sorry you're, to everyone. You're not the only one that's that's concerned about Kaladin. Uh, Elliot, you want to talk about your two words? We balanced each other well, Paul, because you covered Kaladin and the Venley chapter a little bit. Mine yeah, are actually Bonio. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Both of mine have to do with the Shallan chapter in between. So my two words are smugglers and bounty hunters. I am aware that this is Stormlight and not Star Wars, in case anyone was confused there. But I was kind of getting a a Star Wars-ish vibe from the chapter where we learn more about the Ghostbloods, and we kind of learned that maybe perhaps they're the, the smugglers of the Cosmere. They want to take stuff and get it elsewhere carefully without being noticed. And then Shalon gets what seems to me, what feels very much like a bounty hunter assignment. She gets a name and a location and is told, go there, get that person. You'll know what to do when you get there. Which I'm not quite sure to think about. We'll have to talk more when we, when we get to that section. We yeah we will talk about that a lot. There's there's a lot going on in that scene which we'll we'll be talking about. But first of all, we have to look after Kaladin. And chapter twelve, Kaladin shows up to your theory after just getting discharged from the military last week, and Sil flies off. Doesn't even speak a word to Kaladin. Just gone. And Kaladin's like, okay, well. All right, I guess I'm just going to go to my room and cry now. So that's what he does. He goes to his room, lock, or locks himself in there, and collapses in a heap. And his, every, his whole world has just collapsed in front of him. He doesn't have his outlet of windrunner-ness, windrunner-dom, or whatever you want to call it. And Sil's not there to talk to him. And, you know, he's he's not talking to bridge four at the moment. He wants to be alone and he only gets about three or four minutes into this and who shows up. Adolin. Adolin storming Colin, as, as Kaladin says with an unashamed sill on his shoulder. So sill is tied to Kaladin's mind and is really concerned about him as he's just been discharged. So as soon as I get to your theory, she flies off, goes to get Adolin and says, we need to keep an eye on Adolin. Um, 
or we need to keep an eye on Kaladin. Uh, and you need to go go help him any way you can. And what is Adolin's strategy here? Drag him kicking and screaming to the party. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's go to a wedding party. That sounds fun. And Kaladin's like, he does agree to go eventually, but he's he's not too keen on it to start. But Adolin drags him out to... Go be miserable with his friends, is how he puts it. You don't have to talk, you just have to be here. And he goes and sits him down, and Shalon's here drinking herself to oblivion because she's allowed to now, um, as as Vale. And uh, Shalon and Adolin and Vale have a kind of weird conversation, and Calton's like, your guys' relationship is so strange. And Adolin's like, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, what, what did you guys think of this this scene? Okay. First, my first thoughts were honestly made me even more disappointed in you, Trevor, from our previous or was it episode 100 when we were talking about our like least favorite Stormlight characters or something like that and you had Adolin. Oh yeah. And it made me even more heartbroken. I was like you knew this. I and did. you still had him up there. Oh. <laughs> Because I I loved I loved this, and and like I thought it was funny that Syl like went and got Adolin to like cheer up Kaladin just because of like they're not enemies but they're not like friends like the Kaladin doesn't really like Adolin I don't think Adolin has any bad feelings necessarily towards Kaladin but right uh, just interesting dynamic and then he just does this and is like nope you're not gonna do this you're going to come and you're going to be there. And that that's the end of it and stuff. And then we go, and I, I mean, I thought it was a amusing chapter. Um, I don't like Shalon. I think right now, uh, just like the the multiple personalities, just craziness. Um, and it made the the whole relationship very interesting. So there's that, and um, yeah, make of that what you will. But those those are my initial thoughts I thought it was a pretty I thought it was a fun scene very very heartwarming to see Adolin do what he does here to to take care of of Kaladin very much an actions speak louder than words sort of thing you know Kaladin and, and Adolin haven't always gotten along but they've also kind of always been there for each other. Yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking back to when, you know, Kaladin jumps into the the dueling ring to to save Adolin's backside and does so. And then, you know, Adolin sticking up for him and, and sitting in jail with him while he's while he's there. Like, you know, moments like that where they've had their banter. They they've even had their moments where they've maybe even hated each other. But when it comes down to it, like They've got each other's backs. It's cool to see. You're my only bridge boy. Where would I get another? That's a good quote. My favorite line, my favorite line from this chapter was as, as Adolin is dragging him out the door, he says, come on, bright Lord, master, high marshal, Stormface, Let's go. Sums it all up right there. That's a good one. That was very good. Sil, not Sil, Shalon and Adolin 
are sitting across the table from Kaladin and they're saying, all right, uh, they're observing the tavern that they're in and they're saying, all right, who should we, uh, who should we set Kaladin up with next? Which kind of takes Kaladin aback, which would imply that Kaladin was set up with Lynn in the last year without his knowledge, um, <laughs> because he didn't know that they, um, were, were doing this. And so Kaladin says, I don't need to set up with anybody, you know, I, I, I'm doing just fine. And then what does Shalon say? That's not what Syl says. That's one of my that's one of my favorite lines. De definitely an entertaining scene there as they're yeah, figuring all that out. Although Shalon or, or Vale keeps like interjecting with like kind of these darker comments the whole time. Where you're like, oh, this is supposed to be silly and, and lighthearted and then Oh wait, what? Like <laughs> Vale keeps referencing like the the darkness within her or something like that. Yeah, Kaladin asks asks Radiant how Shalon is doing, and that whole relationship yeah. is really weird. And Radiant's like, yeah, she's she's okay. Well, we're we're getting there. Um, so there's a whole dynamic there that's kind of strange, but. Yeah, I, I feel I think I've voiced my mind on this many enough times before. But yeah, it's I think it was one thing for for Shalon to to start this like. There there are three of her. And then now it's past that to the point that everyone else is like, oh, yeah, this is just Vale. Like, you know, they're not like that's Shalon right behind there. You know, it's just kind of like. It's like it's like the three of them are friends, and they're like, "How? Oh, Vale, like, how's Brightness Radiant doing? Or Brightness Radiant, how's Shalon doing? Like, it, I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. At at some point, though, along the line here, we did learn that she's using her hair color to help out with this, where she changes her hair color for the different personalities. That, like, for some reason, I. I'm re I'm reading a book. I can't even see it. Actually, helps me a lot. Like I, I can imagine that being a huge help to the people she's interacting with. It, you can at least, like, as you're walking up to her, know who you're about to talk to, sort right. of thing. Yeah. But yeah, just still definitely weird. Adolin asks Kaladin how he would help Shalon, and he has two motives here. He does genuinely want to help Shalon because he's married to her and he cares about her. But halfway through the Kaladin's diagnosis here of things Adolin can do to help her, he kind of stops himself and realizes that Adolin is asking this so he can get more information to how to help Kaladin. So Adolin's actually really smart here of, yo, hey, Kaladin, you're a surgeon. How would you help Shalon? Oh, well, I would, you know, make sure she's not not alone if you think she's uh, in a bad place and all, all, sort, all these different things. And then Kaladin's like, Wait a minute. That's what that's what you're doing to me. Which Adolin's already doing, right? I mean, that's exactly what he just did was pulled Kaladin out of a of a dark place and said, Hey, you don't have to be okay, but you're gonna be with us. You know, that's Adolin was already on the right track. Yeah. We talked at the end of Oathbringer. 
what Adolin's reaction would be when Dalinar sits him down and says, hey, I accidentally killed your mom. That scene appears to have already happened. Adolin mentions, or Kaladin mentions, that Dalinar killing Evie accidentally is common knowledge in the book that Dalinar has already published, Oathbringer. So what are you guys' thoughts on this, that Adolin... Uh, that that conversation apparently has already happened off screen. Yeah, I'm more than a little upset about this. Actually, when that line dropped, I I about set the book down. I was like, "What? No, that 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 had to have been that had to have been a tough scene. That had to have been emotional. That had to have been difficult." for Adolin and Renarin to have to come to grips with that. And it appears like we've completely skipped over that to the point where everyone's fine with it. Like they don't even give it a second thought. And Callan just kind of mentions it offhand. I thought for sure that was going to be a, like a key, you know, character development scene we were going to see of Adolin and Renarin having to deal with the, you know, coming to grips with the true history of the Blackthorn, their father. But apparently, maybe all that's already happened in the year we kind of skipped over. So, okay, moving on, I guess. Overall, so so we're not very far into this book. We're like, what, 15, 15 chapters, 14 chapters, which is like a bit in a normal book, maybe. <laughs> but... <laughs> This is uh, Brandon Sanderson's Rhythm of War, which I'm assuming is going to have 110 chapters plus or whatever. Um, so, like, in the grand scheme of things, we're not that far. But already, it, I could also just be remembering wrong. This is very much my speculation. It feels like our characters are having pretty different approaches to their problems or, or there's just like a different relationship to their problems is how I would more so describe it. I mean that with like seeing how not only how Shalon is behaving with her multiple personalities, but how people are responding to it and how it's not like as weird. I guess Kaladin is makes some snide remarks. I think about like, Oh, that like this is odd or whatever, but I'm wondering if kind of problems like that are being kind of just like swept under the rug. And that's, it feels like that's kind of what's happened with the Adolin Renarin reveal there of like, it was just kind of swept under the rug where before I feel like all of our problems like that were way bigger, like way more of an integral story point. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if he's if Brandon Sanderson's trying to like make room for this like big Shalon reveal or Kaladin's like resurging internal pain or what. But I I don't really know what to make of it. I want to give it like right now. I'm thinking I'm like not thrilled with it. But I kind of want to give it the benefit of the of the doubt and just like keep reading. And see because we're not that far in in the grand scheme of this book. Um the, like right now my logical brain is telling me like, oh, we've we're fifteen chapters in, like this just feels different. It feels like 
not quite the same as stuff would have been tackled before, and I'm not liking it as much. But I, I'm thinking it will play out further. Yeah, th- there's the possibility that that conversation has yet to happen, and just Aelin and Renarin haven't been ready to do that yet. But the, the initial, you know, emotional reaction of, like, we, we did certainly missed out on that. But there could be more of a development there. I'm wondering if it's almost uh, like a writing pacing thing. I wonder if, if Brandon just felt like maybe he would agree that that was a big moment, an important one, but maybe just it didn't really fit into the structure that he needed to use for this story. Maybe that was, you know, kind of taking us in directions that he are maybe counterproductive to where he needs us to go. So maybe that was just kind of a, that had to get sacrificed for other plot points. Maybe I'm still a little mad about it. Maybe. You know what I'm mad about? The end of this chapter. That's what I'm mad about. Rock. Rock. I love rock. And he sits Kaladin down and says, yo, you've asked me to stay and, train the wind run- or train the wind runners and wait for this this punishment that I need to do and I've done so but I'm I'm leaving I I'm with or without your blessing I'm leaving and when I when I read this the first time I remember thinking like no I mean you know it's rock he can't go anywhere but this chapter seems he seems fairly final with this and he's saying I Kaladin asks him, hey, when am I going to see you again? And Rock, what does Rock say? He's like, well, we may see, like, afterlife or whatever, like... Yeah. He's like, no, this is this is the end of it. This brought up a worry for me that I was not tracking up to this point. He almost makes it sound like He's going back. We, we kind of know that he's disobeyed something, right? In 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 doing an act of violence and in, in in fighting, he went against something. And I'd kind of assumed up until now that that was a like a social norm for for the horn eaters. That oh no, he's not supposed to. But then all of a sudden, he's talking about like justice, and I'll never see you again. Not in no, not in this lifetime. Like, is he headed back to, like, the death sentence? Is he going back to a people that are going to say, you've disobeyed this core law of what it means to be a a horn eater. Your sentence is death? Like, that's almost what the implication seems to be here. Right. I was, I, that was news to me. Yeah. And Kaladin checks himself, uh, because he considers for a second of going with Rock, of escorting him to the Horn Eater Peaks and maybe staying there for a time since he's just been discharged. Uh, and then he thinks to himself, well, if I did that, would I really be able to restrain myself from the justice that Rock is surrendering himself over to? And if and if I couldn't, then that would be a disservice to Rock because Rock is willing to do this and willing to sacrifice himself for me if the... Uh, if the punishment is really that high. So he does 
give him give rock his blessing but and then and we assume that rock leaves after the scene but man is it a Gut punch after gut punch in these these chapters for Callan lately. It it definitely is. But so we talked about it in our last episode about how chapter ten was one of like Trevor's favorite chapter ever, and I made the comment of like I didn't think it was. I mean, it was it was good, but I wouldn't put it in my like favorite chapters of Stormlight. Yeah, uh, list. And I was like, maybe Trevor typoed that whenever he, he mentioned it to us. Maybe he meant to say something else. And I read this, and I was like, maybe he meant to say chapter 12. Because I I like, I like could see you getting like really emotionally invested with this like rock scene. Yeah. Because before, it's kind of like... I don't know. I, I, this, this chapter in my head screams stuff that Trevor would like. Of like the, the attitude Adolin kind of has of like sort of comic relief and also just like being there and trying to help Kaladin whenever he very much doesn't want it. And then kind of like ridiculous, like fun goofiness kind of at this like party. And then the like really sad rock release (laughs) pet rock is going away. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, And yeah, and I was like, dang, like this, this felt way more impactful to me than like chapter 10 did, I guess. Um, and I, I thought it would be one of your, one of your big chapters or something, but this, this was kind of surprising that it, like we always kind of knew Rock and these Horn Eaters had these like strict codes and like rules and stuff like that, but I didn't think it would be quite like this. Um, I thought our character still had the plot armor here. You know, he wouldn't like go home to like atone. I guess. Yeah. Um. We we are when we've brought this up before. We are used to our characters not really having. We're assuming the plot armor is thicker than apparently it actually is. That Kaladin is in real danger of getting discharged from the army, and Rock is in very real danger of going home to whatever this. Uh, this punishment is so we we've we've said before that you know Elokar is really the only major whatever the word I'm looking for is up until this point and Rhythm of War has hit us with like three or four like pretty heavy blows already and we're only like four episodes in yeah it just hasn't been in the form of like a character death it's like a character Catch and release, you know, like off into the wild you go again, um, and stuff. So I, I, it's nowhere near as touching as it. Like if Kaladin died right now, or like Rock died, and it sounds like Rock is going to his death, um, but we don't, we don't know yet. I'm assuming we're going to get to see that go down, like whatever goes on up there. Uh, We could not. But I, I'm I'm kind of assuming there'll be like a chapter in there that we'll what? get to see. There's a one of the final words that Rock says when he's leaving. What does he say that he's actually going to? Kaladin says, Are you going to your death? Or you you go to this punishment. And Rock kind of like tries to laugh it off and say, No, I'm going to the gods. What does that mean? 
Uthasprin. Shadesmar. Right. He's going to do something and atone for something in Shadesmar at the at, at for cultivation maybe. So like something something with that. You think he'll become a Spren and then come and bond? Uh, Kaladin, I don't know. Relane? Yeah. Oh, oh, there we go. <laughs> that actually, that's another, that's a different way to look at this, though, because when he says stuff like, I will not see you again in this life, what if he views Shadesmar as another life? Right. Like, if, if he's getting going to get banished to Shadesmar or given some sort of a task sent there, that could be, that could totally be what he said it to, as opposed to like a, an actual death sentence. Although Shades is a fairly dangerous place. That's true. He, he does say if we meet again, it will not be in this world in this life is his exact quote there. So yeah, it, it could actually have big shades more implications. Yeah. Anything else from chapter 12? All right, on to our... It was a good one. It was. On to our Shalon chapter. She's visiting her brother, Jushu, um, in his room in Yorthiru, and sits by the fake hearth, um, the heating fabrile hearth, and starts drawing the hearth from home. And Jushu is not the most pleasant lad. He's a Devar, and... He has a gambling addiction. He has a thieving addiction to feed said gambling addiction. And that has not changed since he was, since Shalon left what, two years ago at this point or so. And so they've caught him trying to steal the heating fabrial out of the hearth to gamble with the one gemstone that's in there. Like he, he's doing everything he can to try to get his hand on spheres to gamble. That is the, the state of his gambling addiction. And Shalon still goes because he's her brother and goes and hangs out with him. And she draws the hearth from home and kind of freaks out a little bit. Do you guys pick up on that? I noticed some similarities that I could draw. She draws the hearth from home and, and Jushu like looks over her shoulder and was like, hey, what are those weird figures in the fire? And my mind immediately thought of the last time Shalon drew weird figures in images. All the way back to Way of Kings, she started drawing the cryptics, the 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 Sybil heads yep. everywhere. It doesn't seem like that's what these are. I think she'd recognize them by now. She doesn't seem to, it, or or maybe she doesn't want to. This seems maybe different, but I kind of my my takeaway from this was last time we saw Shalon drawing weird unknown stuff, something pretty big happened, and here she's at it again. So these ones, I I specifically remember her kind of like realizing these drawings and trying to figure out how to like play it cool, and she's like, oh, they could probably be seen like from the distance as flame spread. Except then you see it's like they're distinguishable people. It's like her and her brothers, I think, right? To her and her family, like yep. burning. Yep. Which is like unsettling. But 
Yeah, I, I, I'm i now intrigued based off of the, like, other drawing you're mentioning, Elliot, with the cryptics, like... Is that, like... I don't know what to make of that. I don't think we have any, like, burning sprin in description. Um... So I don't know. Maybe this is this is probably something I I'm on the side of. That's probably something different. It's probably not every time she draws weird things. It's like a prophecy ish thing of these like spread or whatever. But I don't know. I didn't know what to make of this. I kind of discounted it as our daily dose of shalong craziness and <laughs> moving along. But uh, it seems like every time she draws something. It ends up being significant, though. So, it it could be as simple as her drawings can sometimes reveal things that are happening or there, or interactions that are there that aren't you know immediately visible to the naked eye. And this could be just another instance of that, where it's it's kind of it's hinting at the truth that things are not okay and they're actually all on fire, but. I don't know. Maybe it's just more symbolic than it is something big is imminently about to happen. Yeah, could be either one. I'm not sure. Uh huh. Hey, I, some of them I might be lying about, and I'm not sure. And some of them might be genuine, and I'm not sure. You guys uh-huh. just never know. And then Marais shows up with her other brother and Elita. Uh, his wife and Marais has a conversation with Shalon by the end of the chapter and there's a couple takeaways several actually from this from this chapter there's several things that talk about um and I'll just leave it at that which one do you guys want to talk about first well he He's basically still kind of holding her family hostage, right? I mean, that's that's part of it, right? Yeah. He, the the brothers are like, oh, yeah, that's, I don't remember the burner name that Murray's has, but, oh, he's a really bad duelist. He almost chopped this guy's arms off last week. And then Shalon confronts him on that later of, like, you better not harm my brothers. And he replies, oh, well, I would never dream of harming one of my own which would imply and, that you better be a ghost blood or else I will hurt your brothers. She's still very much holding her brothers over her head. I which is pick that up while I was reading this. That's a good point. Cause it, it's, it's this weird tango we have going on between Shalon and Marais. It seems like every time of like, Shalon wants to know the deepest, darkest secrets of the Ghostbloods without actually joining and getting the tattoo or whatever, like, right. you know. Um, and Marais is like, well, either you're in or you're out. And if you're out, then bad fortune may find you. Exactly. I almost said wink, but I feel like it's not an applicable wink scenario. It's like, a, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Marais is very good at this subtle yet not so subtle 
manipulation. Like he, he, he's always got all the cards is kind of how it, it seems to go. He, he claims that he's rewarding Shalon by bringing her brothers to her. So he's, he's done this huge thing. Oh, you've done a service to us. You prove yourself. Let me, let me do this for you. But in reality, that just gives him almost even more leverage over her and that now her brothers are all around her and he can just actively threaten them right there in the same room. So it's it's not like he's lost any of his power at all. He still has all the cards. Moraes has his chicken with him. Did you guys pick up on what power the chicken gives him? I did not. We we learned a lot about AVRs, and so I totally like I p- instantly picked up that this chicken was the AVR that we had mentioned before. Yep. But no, I I don't know that I I don't know that I realized what the power was. Did so we see anything? I don't think we saw anything. What were sixth two AVRs powers? Do you guys remember? So one of them showed him his imminent deaths, right? Yep. He was always seeing himself die in ways like where he had maybe a few seconds to react and prevent it. Yep. The other one? That was one. The other one shielded him from the cognitive realm. Yes. Because there were cognitive, there were sea creatures that hunt on the cognitive realm in the sixth, on the sixth of the dust or on the first of the sun. And... Vale, as she walks up to Marais, thinks to herself, oh, he can feel me coming even when, like, I don't make any noise or anything. He he knows he knows when somebody shows up behind him. His AVR is the, um, is the cognitive realm peak one, the, the one that shields him from the cognitive realm and can show him you know, things approaching in the cognitive realm. So the, that second one that we're talking about is that is the equivalent. There might be a couple differences, but that that's what I assumed we were talking about there. Good to know. Anything else before Marie's actual motive as the actual conversation goes? Well, one other thing in this conversation that, that seemed important to me, Shalon reveals that the latest objective she's achieved for the Ghostbloods, latest task she's been given and she's completed, is she's convinced Shah Anat to send a one of her, is Shah Anat a her? I think it is. Yep. Spren to bond a ghost blood and Mraze Mraze responds saying that he's a little disappointed that he didn't get the original deal, which supposedly was supposed to be to bond with him. So I guess Shalon got a, a similar deal, but not quite the same where I guess the agreement is that the spread will bond a ghost blood. So I, I don't know quite what to do with this information yet, other than file it away as this will be important later, but that, that nugget seemed important. We know what this means, like what, because 
so it's just a corrupted spren that's yes. being bonded, right? Renarin's Renarin's corrupted spren. Okay, I was trying to remember the the thing. Like it was a normal spren and was corrupted, right? It's not like a new creation of a like altered, like fake spren, I guess, so to speak. So, um, as far as we know, Jotnot's corrupted spren give an altered form of the original powers. So, yes. and it, you might even say upgraded version of the original powers, because Relaine seems to have all Truth Watcher abilities. Renarin. Yeah. What did I say? Relaine. Sorry. That would be quite a twist. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Renarin yeah. seems to have all the Truth Watcher abilities and then also can see into the future. Like, so, mm-hmm. so he, yeah. it alters the, the Night Radiant attributes that you get from the spren which i mean it tells you immediately why murray's might be interested in this right right? he wants to learn more about this and or get you know powers others don't have so makes total sense yeah and then murray's and shallan go back and forth on what the ghost bloods are actually doing here and the Ghostblood's relationship with the Sons of Honor, which will which they tie off the conversation with. So Shalon brings up the notebook that ELA had, and she turns and or Radiant turns to him and says, Nalathis, Skadarial, Taldane, what are those? And Moraes turns to her and says, Oh, great question. I, I didn't realize we were on this level of Cosmere conversation. So he says he corrects her and gives her the proper spelling, proper pronunciation of Nalthus, Scadriel, Taldane. And he, he leaves it as they are locations in Shadesmar, which that's not wrong, but it's not, you know, like that's not really true. Like, I mean, that that's not really being genuine to what they, actually are and that's you know another whole system of planets somewhere else so he's he's telling her oh they're you know they're in Shadesmar, and that's what the sons of honor are looking for and and but uh radiant and shallan and Vale, they they dig a little deeper and they're saying okay why why do you guys care and that's when we get into the conversation of you guys have spheres on roshar and it would be really, really great if we could take them over to, to wherever and use it there. And then Marais says, two pro- there's two problems with this. One, f- spheres fade in like, you know, two weeks or whatever. And so there isn't that much that you can do with that in two weeks. That problem has been solved, in theory, with things like the King's Drop, which never fade if you can replicate that somehow then you solve that problem two marais uses the word capital c connection there is a capital c connection of investiture to the shard where it originated so if you take stormlight off of roshar it doesn't work and then he says oh i fixed that problem and does not explain No, or I don't. Are you? I'm done. 
Okay, okay. Um, I was not expect. Okay, a couple thoughts. First thought is I was not expecting to have like to see this now in, in our book, but mm-hmm. I'm really kind of excited to see our I guess. Uh, Arcanum Unbounded, is that the right one? Yep. I keep thinking R's Arcanum, and that's the back of the book thing, isn't it? Uh, okay. Either one, I'll understand what you mean. Okay. Our unca- Arcanum Unbounded talks, learning, everything that we've learned. We Elliot mentioned before, I think last episode, about like how we are kind of ahead of the characters in yep. that right now. Like They don't know about this, but we do. And this is basically us seeing that for the first time where... Marais is briefly somewhat explaining this to Shalon. And so it made sense to me. I was like, and he talks about how he's trying to like sell investiture pretty much. Like he's selling Stormlight right. elsewhere for mad profit, I assume. Um, and yeah, it was just really neat to see that. I don't know what else that necessarily like means, but it shows like that that's what the ghost bloods are doing, um, or at least what Marais is, and that's definitely a much larger scale thing than I initially thought the ghost bloods were when they were first introduced. I was like, oh, this is a, a group of this is a gangster group of hood rats around the city, you know, right. <laughs> like. Not a uh, intergalactic. I don't know. Smugglers, smugglers and bounty hunters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's part of the reason why, and Shalon guesses this of oh that's why you're looking for your Ethiru, because they they in the last year they figured out oh we can use oath gates reliably to get in and out of, uh, Shadesmar. So that's why you're looking for your Ethiru because. Then you get the the highway to Shadesmar, and you don't have to use the Horn Eater Peaks that everybody's been using, apparently. This whole connection thing was really interesting to me. Because he talks, too, about how, whether it's investiture itself or an invested person starts to either like feel the effects of distance or loses those powers as you go further and further. Now that brings up a couple questions for me though, because we seem to have watched Hoyd and maybe also perhaps Azure use powers that we only previously saw on Nalthus. In, in Warbreaker. Yep. Spoilers for Warbreaker. Hopefully you've read that book by now. The so, so that kind of raises some questions. Are they using... Like, how is all that working? Are those powers linked to that world and that shard? Or can they come to Roshar, use the investiture on Roshar to do those abilities that we originally saw in Warbreaker that those are the kind of questions I'm I'm asking now and how that might play in with this new connection mechanic. It's a great, did, great did, question. Did we not see wit use breaths at the end of Oathbreaker? Yes, you have bringer Oathbringer. Yeah. Oathbreaker. I had Warbreaker and Oathbringer both in my head. So you, you have seen Hoyd use them. You've 
it was heavily implied that Azure was about to do the same thing. So the the end the close scene of Oathbringer, it says Azure's turns to the honor spren on the ship and says, Hey, make a bunch of dolls for me. Like like warrior dolls to fight the fused. And that's that's the close of the scene. So assume that Azure Vivenna could utilize her breaths and awaken those to fight for her is what she was about to plan to do. But if if Mraze has claimed to fix that problem, maybe other people like Hoyd have also, you know, figured out how to get around whatever that limitation is. But I'm I'm still curious and we got fed a little bit of information, but now it's sparking more questions for me. Not only that, but we see that his AVR works, right? His right. A- his AVR sim- does appear to work, yes. Yeah, so that's something else that's like a foreign magic system, yeah. pretty much, that's working here on Roshar. So, yeah, so either they have there's some key to it or whatever, or it just works. And then the final part of this conversation is go to Lasting Integrity, the capital of Shadesmar, basically, the honor, the honor spread capital of Shadesmar, find Ristaris, who was, if not the founder, then a hev- a big player in the Sons of Honor. And when you find him, you will know what to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah just that's... As, I'm just as frustrated that that line as Shalon was. Shalon's like, are you sure I will? He's like, oh yeah, you got it. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that might mean. I'm really not. Is it not obvious? The The only way that it would be obvious to me is if Shalon will recognize the person. Huh. If Shalon knows who this person, like, knows this person by another name, then she'll be like, oh, I need to kill you. Or, you know, if it's, you know, her brother, Halloran or something, you know, whatever. Um, or I think... If if I heard this in real life, like someone was like, go to like go meet this person and then you'll know what to do. I would be so upset. I'd be like, what do you mean? Right. Stop that. But since it's in this story, I actually trust it. Like I actually wasn't phased. I was like, oh, okay, like it'll make sense. You know? And so I think that's funny because Trevor like had the opposite reaction. He was like, What? <laughs> Don't tell me that. My only guess was actually maybe the the vice versa of what you were just saying, Trevor. What if it's not that Shalon will recognize this person? What if it's this person will recognize Shalon? Oh yeah. What if it's what if it's not actually really about what Shalon needs to do? It's that Mraze is just sending Shalon to this person, and maybe this person is gonna know what to do when they see Shalon. Yeah, good question. Anything else from this chapter before we push back into Venley? All right. I want to open this chapter discussion with something that we actually got in last uh, of Venley chapter, which I forgot to mention. There's a there's a one a one cent a one liner as they as we say in chapter eleven. Yeah, chapter eleven, where the the knights radiant 
um, equivalent that the word equivalent for the fused is brands. It translates to brands and it evokes the the heat the the heat iron of a brand. Today I was listening to this, and I thought I thought to myself, wait a minute, Emperor's Soul. What if the difference between a regal and a fused is like a soul stamp and you've been stamped with like a background like of being from braze you guys are tracking with me here and you've been branded to be a to be a to be tied to braze and your soul returns there it's the whole point of those stamps right was like you're stamping this table or whatever right you stamp the table with basically a new history. Right. That's believable. And so you're stamping it with this extended history of this fused. And then it improves the object. Like you get the nicer table. Yep. Um, and so if you stamp if a regal and you push it to be a fused. That's where mine it, went, it, my mind went. It, that's really cool. I, I could very well see that just being a fun coincidence that it's like as sort of looks like a stamp or whatever. But if it is a, a soul stamp, then all they have to do is like b- believe they're not right, or like what is it? They have to c- corrupt the stamp. They have okay, like they have to like mess it up a little bit and then. Oh, it... okay, okay. I was thinking about the whole like. S- Stamp mechanics of like it has to be a believable history or whatever, right? right. Um, but that's a bit fuzzy. Who remembers? That's a cool observation. I like that. I like that parallel too. That's really interesting. I think the only the only thing I could think of that might throw a, a stick in that in that spoke would be. It seems fairly clear that when a regal becomes a fused, the the previous person is dead. Right. Whereas our soul stamps, you could you could kind of turn it on and off. Mm-hmm. You could you could go back and forth. You could be the the new person you just wrote yourself to be, but then you can also go back to who you actually are or who you were before. Where that doesn't seem from what we know possible for a singer who has been overtaken by a fused. Didn't that depend on the stamp though? Cause like what was her face? I don't remember her name even in the emperor's soul. Um, but she had like the one stamp with her that was going to make her like a little rural farm girl or whatever. And uh-huh. she like, wouldn't know anything else. Like it was her fresh start. And it was like, that was a no going back stamp. Right. It was like, she was, I'm pretty sure that's I don't what remember this, but I believe you. Uh, like she had her different stamps. There was like a warrior, a fighter one, uh-huh. a whatever one, all these ones. And then there was one that was like a a fresh start kind of stamp. And it was like, I will be a normal person and there is no, I will have, no, I will not have the knowledge that I have of like how to do these and stuff. Yeah, um, I, I do remember that I, now. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure you can like incorporate that into the stamps. Um, but yeah, yeah. So you'd see that as possible. But then I'm wondering: so is the Everstorm just someone in there who's just stamping everyone? Just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold still. The, yeah. <laughs> I've I've theorized as well that 
that's where shard blades originate from is it's designed to sever the soul from the body leaving the body unharmed so the original singer can come rehost um that's that's one of the theories that i've had before but the only we we have no implication that the original singer's soul is preserved somewhere like what everybody assumes that that original singer is dead nobody has seen an original singer come back to rehost their body uh, after a fuse was dead anyway that was just something i forgot to mention last week We have a scene here, Venli and Leshwi walk in to the Council of the Nine, which is in, I think it's in the Kolinar Palace, right? They've kind of constructed stuff around the Kolinar Palace to make it look their own. And they have encased the Nine in stone here. And that's, it's the Jedi Council is how I view it as. Um, there's just a bunch of um, old wise fused here talking about their next their next plan and this is back where paul you were talking about leslie and raboniel the pursuer lady man and leslie is saying hey i need to go hunt kaladin because that's my whole thing and then leshwi speaks up and says no uh he actually killed me first this time around so i get to do that and leslie's super upset about that um so uh, Venli has a thought of why Leshwi spoke up for that. Do you guys, did you guys check or did you guys catch that? So Venli thinks that Leshwi is like full on protecting Kaladin, right? Which, uh, yeah, I'm I'm there too. It, that doesn't seem too much of a stretch. Yeah, Venli is thinking to herself. Well, Venli knows that Leshwi has a lot of respect for Kaladin and the Windrunners. And yeah, Venli thinks to herself, wait, he, she doesn't care about this, you know, vengeance thing that Lesian's super obsessed with. She just wants to make sure Lesian can't go after Kaladin. So claims that, oh, I've got a grudge first, so I get to kill him first. Um, she, he's actually just, or she's blocking for Kaladin. I did get the impression, though, that that may not stop this guy. He he seems like he may be one to kind of go off the rails and disobey the, the council and go after Kaladin anyway. So even though Kaladin seems like he's headed for no longer being on the battlefield, I'm, I'm worried. This guy seems like he's not going to stop till Kaladin's dead sort of thing. So Kaladin and, may have someone going after him for a while. Especially with the implications of the rest of this meeting of the the fuse and their plans because at the end of this chapter the fused have agreed we're going to siege your ethiru we're going to take your ethiru with a team and if kaladin is you know oh and they they said we're going to use teravangian to remove the bondsmith and the else caller those are the two that they're really upset about is dalinar and yasna actually are the two that they're really scared of so they're going to use teravangian to divert them somewhere and if kaladin is decommissioned and at home at urethiru when this attack happens he, he you know 
the pursuer just might, you know, find him in the wrong room if this if this attack's going to happen. I definitely agree. I think it was I think it was Elliot who mentioned it about like Lesian probably just isn't going to care that that uh Leshwe like I guess has a right or just kind of laid claim to going after Kaladin. Right. Uh, I think it was the book seemed very clear and that he does not care. They all have like these fused have their like goals and their plans for I guess overtaking the world or whatever and he's like I don't care. I only want to kill the person who's killed me last. Like that's the only thing he cares about. I wonder what he'd do if while he's trying to kill Kaladin someone else kills him. I mean, he'd probably just have two targets, but who knows? Um Yeah, I I I imagine he'll just continue to keep going after Kaladin. I don't think he cares. Yeah. If anyone else has the technically has the right to do so. Anything else about Lesian before we talk about Rabonial? So in the second half of this meeting, Rabonial walks in and Leshwi actually freaks out. Le- Leshwi is thinking to herself, oh, this is one of those literally insane fused. But Rabonial seems to have it fairly together. She's just, you know, her ethics might be insane, is what Leshwi is saying. Rabonial, uh, Leshwi and Venli kind of whisper back and forth between them of who this lady is. She is an old scientist who tried to win the war by releasing chemical warfare and releasing a doctored plague against the humans and wiping off, wiping away the, wiping off the humans. And she said that like one in 10 Parshmen or one in 10 singers would die in the process, but that was the, you know, a small price to pay to, to win the war. So that, that's her ethics of, we are going to make the humans extinct is her, is her past. Uh, And we've, we've gotten that from a couple other fused, but you know, and Venli points it out as well is that there are plenty of politics and chinks in the armor of the fused of conflicting points of view of should we coexist with the humans and kind of split Roshar or should we just completely eradicate them and or are we just here to kill people for fun like Lesian is so like we, we've got all sorts of agendas here there's even a bit of fear actually as well mixed in with all of that the, there seems to be a faction or a subset here that's realizing hey the humans are way more advanced than they usually are Comparing back to like you know the thousands of years of desolations in in the past, we've seen some of the flashbacks, right? Where like the the humans have you know like bronze weapons that and, and they you know, like leather armor, and that's the best they have. Right. Our humans nowadays are way further than that. We we've got ships that fly through the air. Like that, there's much more technological advancement than the singers the fused are are used to fighting so there's also that yeah i do think that was one of the main points that raboniel had of attacking your theory is they're way more advanced than well 
she says we should attack the tower before they turn it on is what is what she says uh before they before they're too strong there to stop we need to take the tower from them and then she talks about the same fabrial that navani was was talking about last episode to get did you guys remember there catch that Yeah, so this dove even further into what I was kind of wondering about last week, which was similarities between the tower and that stormlight suppressing fabric that they had. R- Raboniel seems to imply here that might be exact. Well, Raboniel actually seems to imply that perhaps the intended purpose of that fabric is a bit of an inverse of that, that maybe it's a suppression of void light abilities and that it's a protection it's almost like a like a a bubble protection bubble that might envelop the whole city and then any fuse that might enter into that won't be able to use their their void light abilities that that's not specifically said in this chapter i don't think but that was kind of me piecing together a few comments here and there that that might be what it was intended to be right but Raboniel apparently has an idea to use that pillar, that fabrial, to do the opposite of that, to do the same as that other fabrial that they've used before, to use its power to suppress stormlight. And so if they could do that, if they could send like a you know a team of commandos to infiltrate, get to that fabrial, activate it, completely silencing all of the radiant powers in the whole city, yeah, they've effectively just taken over completely yeah and that plan has been greenlit by the end of this chapter but that is the plan that they're going to move forward with so the the only other part of this conversation that stuck out to me was Rabonio reveals her her biggest fear I think she, I think she's talking to Leshwi directly at this point, and she says, "The fear we have to act now, before they figure out that what they just did to an unmade, where we're down our trapped the unmade inside the king's drop, it's not too much further for them to figure out that they can do the same thing to a fused." And, and Trevor, this this ties back to a bit of the conversation we were having last week about the differences of the different types of singers. She's specifically worried about like, this could happen to a fused and only a fused, right? It's the, the spren like spirit that is the fuse that could get trapped. It's not like you can do this to just a regular singer, right? Right. Okay. I want to make sure I was following that correctly. Do do you guys remember what happened to Yezrian? Yes. Unfortunately, black blade, Stab in the gut. The pommel of the dagger glows after he dies. Similar thing here. They, the fused, have assumedly, like, I'm not, I don't know if this is for certain or not. I'm not, like, confirming something for you. But I, I assume that the fused have done the same thing to, to Yezrian and have trapped him in the pommel of that, of that blade. Uh, as opposed to just killing him, which would return him back to Braze. He he says as he's dying, he's like, "Wait, this is different." Right. Like and he knows he's not. It's not. He knows it's. If he's dying, which I took it as he he died. 
like but with this information like it would make a lot of sense that he's like trapped in this the pommel of that weapon or whatever but like reading it i was like oh they found some way to like literally like permanently kill a herald and as he was dying he knew it was a permanent death right or knew it was something totally different he knew it wasn't just him going to braze again that's the name of the other planet right braze yep okay Roshar, Braze, and Ashen. Anything else for these chapters? No, that was some pretty, pretty big stuff that's that's setting us on an, an interesting trajectory with this story. We've we've really launched into it and kicked right into some some big stuff. The some of the other books kind of eased us in a little slow, or or maybe kind of surprised at the beginning, and then we kind of slowed down pretty quickly after that this is this is high stakes stuff all the way from the beginning till now yeah alright let's keep reading and reconvene next week thanks for joining me Paul and Elliot onward and upward <laughs>